right, welcome back, folks, to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Randall, can you believe it? We are less than one week away from opening day. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for all offseason. Uh, it is a little difficult to believe, and kudos to most of MLB for staying safe and staying healthy and staying responsible during the entirety of spring training. Helps that you're focused into two states, but good for them. We're hopefully getting to spring training without any, to the end of spring training without any major outbreaks. And may we have similar luck throughout what will be a full and productive major league season. Absolutely right. And it's, it's go time now. I mean, uh, we're on the cusp of opening day. Every day, it seems like attendance figures are going up. Uh, More fans expected now at Wrigley Field starting on opening day. I think that's a perfect lead into our season ticket holder here. Jeremy Spector, how are you doing tonight? You have opening day tickets. I do. I do got some opening day tickets. And would you like uh, maybe a little guess as to what aisle they're in? Oh, well, I have to I have to guess it's a 22. Oh, yeah. Big time. Two, two, twenty two. So so if I'm. Uh, sort of putting it together correctly, that would be down the left field line or down the third base line. Uh, no, down the first base line. First base line. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that'll be a nice seat then for you. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, row 17. So there might be a little bit of obstruction and overhang, but you know, always good to get in the ballpark uh, opening day. Yeah, I, I know, especially after last year. And normally your season tickets are out in the bleachers, but because of the limited seating, what you got to kind of move around a little bit is on, is it on a per game basis or how does that work? So uh, as a pre-sale that they did for season ticket holders and basically you, you buy in pods, two, three, four. And uh, well, they, we used the uh, credits from our money from last year to buy. So you could, eat, I mean, if you didn't have, if you, they gave you the option last year, you know, to keep their ticket, to keep the money or refund or refund. So like you just pay straight up for the tickets. It's not really part of it. It's just like the option to buy. Yeah. And we used our credits. Well, that's awesome. And you're so going to you be out there and... if you wanted. I just think it's really cool that, you know, being back at Wrigley Field for the first time post COVID, that's going to be something you're going to have forever. And I yeah. think that's awesome that you've got that in your back pocket now. Yeah. They opened up, we actually didn't get it originally, but they opened up more, I guess the mayor, for some reason, decided to let another 5% in, and I'm all for it. <laughs> so uh, they opened up more, and we they gave us the opportunity today, so we got them today. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm really excited to get back to Wrigley Field. I bet. I bet. And I, I look, I don't want to be a jerk about this, but I'm sure it's nice for you to turn the page from that Illini loss last weekend. You can kind of move on now and, and shift your focus onto baseball from here on out. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, definitely going to do the Bob Seeger, going to turn the page. Uh, and get away from the Illini. Uh, it was a little disappointing. I went to that as well, and that was just brutal. Uh, there really wasn't anything to that game. It just was from the start and just yeah. watching it. It was like, oh, my God. you know. But, you know, all props to Loyola. I, I thought it would be tough, and uh, I'm rooting for him. I don't hold any ill will there, but uh, it's, it's good to get to uh, Wrigley Field and, as you said, turn the page. Yeah, yeah, they're excited here in Denver too. 21,000 fans will be uh, available in Coors Field starting next Thursday. I'm hoping to get out there maybe by the end of April, uh, but then my focus will be on getting back home, go getting vaccinated first, getting back home, and then getting out to Wrigley Field because last year I never want to experience that again. Even if the Cubs have a rough year and I'm a little bit lukewarm on maybe what we're going to see from this team this year, but I still want to get out to Wrigley Field and maybe the three of us will get a, one of those three people pods at some point and we can sit out there and listen to Randall heckle. 
Oh yeah, I'm, I I I wish Randall could come out on opening day and just give it to the umpires. That's just, right. Just give you it. Know, give it to him. Cell nothing phone. I look forward to more than being in a pod with you guys. <laughs> like, like pod right now. Pod, like an escape pod, like R two and three PO ejecting from uh, ejecting from the Tantive Four. No life forms detected. <laughs> well, it, we're, we're excited for the season to get going. And this is our last podcast before opening day. So we've got some loose ends to kind of tie up here in terms of uh, the Cubs. We want to look at uh, what the catching core is going to look like. We'll also look at the pitching, both the starting rotation and the bullpen, and kind of get some of our final thoughts here at the end of spring training. We do want to touch on some White Sox news. Really, really tough week for them. A former Cubs top prospect as well, Eloy Jimenez, out now possibly for the year for attempting to rob a home run ball. I definitely want to talk about that with you guys. And then before we wrap up today, just get some sort of quick previews or predictions, some thoughts of what we think is going to uh, play out this year in Major League Baseball. Um, we'll basically see how wrong we are as we get set for opening day, and it's something that we'll go back and revisit here in a couple of months. Um, but before we get into that, some big news for me, at least. Uh, we got a new Cubs fan here in the family, a four-legged Cubs fan. We have a brand new dog picked up today from the Boulder Humane Society, wonderful people up there in Boulder that helped us out. And Huxley is in the house. We've got a dog sitting at my feet right now. This is his first podcast and he's happy to be here. He's ready for Cubs baseball. Yeah, does he got a little Cubs collar, a bandana? It's coming, it's coming, but the dog actually had a pink collar Mm. and um, one of the dog walkers at the Humane Society kept referring to him as a her. Like, this is a beautiful dog. You should adopt her. This is a great dog. And I'm looking at the dog going, that's not a female. There's something going on down there that doesn't make well, it female. I don't know. I, you can't comment in today's world on what, you know, maybe the dog made a choice. I, I'm not going to go there. And it's Boulder, you know, a progressive <laughs> yeah. town. They're open-minded about everything, exactly. of course. But uh, awesome, awesome dog. It's a four-year-old uh, Labrador Retriever mix. We were actually looking at a different dog. That, that we were sort of leaning towards, maybe this is going to be a good fit. And there was a dog walker walking Huxley. And we liked its demeanor. A couple of dogs charged it. It didn't seem interested. It kind of gave it the Randall. The dogs just sort of backed off. Perfect. So it, it sort of passed the test of really good demeanor, really attractive looking dog. And he's four. So he's been through some things. We don't know a whole lot about his backstory. We know he's from Edinburgh, Texas, which I had to look up on a map. It is way the hell down there. It's basically on the border with Mexico. Um, somehow that dog ended up in Boulder, Colorado, and now it's living right here in lower downtown Denver. So we're, we're just thrilled to have Huxley here in the house. And I hope he gets good Cubs baseball to carry him through his first season here with the team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Always good to get a border dog. That is pretty incredible. I wonder how he migrated all the way from Texas. He flew. Yeah, he just older. He, he flew. All that, you know, the migration, all the people from, uh, and I'm one of them, here in Illinois, California, and Texas that seem to have migrated to Colorado. He said, yeah, I like what they got going on up there he in the mountains. In. I'm going to go hang out with those guys. <laughs> it's a growing state, growing city. He wanted to get in on it. Uh, Ronan, congratulations to you on uh, adopting a new member of the family and uh, many happy years ahead. Uh, to yeah. Huxley and to you. We just got to keep him healthier than Eloy. That's the pole, the whole well, goal here. He's not just... <laughs> jumping up over any fences. <laughs> no, no, he's been pretty chill up to okay. this point. And he's perfectly quiet. We haven't really heard him. He's not barking at anybody or growling or anything yet. So, well, after uh, he hears our episode of the podcast, he may start vocalizing. How can you pick that guy for... So give it time. Give it time. Right. He'll give a few rups out there to you, Randall. 
We'll get a picture of him too out on the new Twitter account just to get him out there into the world and uh, see everybody can see Huxley then and we'll, we'll kind of keep him updated. But we're just very excited. Um, it's been a stressful day and an exhausting day, but a perfect time now to talk Cubs baseball. And I did want to start off with some trivia. I've got a really, really quick three questions. I'm not going to eat up a lot of time because we've got a lot of Cubs baseball that we want to talk about. But as you guys know, I like to do the themes. And with the new dog in the house, today's theme is dogs and we're going to take a look at some famous cubs dogs over the years and see how well you guys do let's start with the hall of famer mad dog greg maddox when you think about greg maddox's career uh, unbelievable in so many ways uh, a cub for a long time an atlanta brave obviously for a long time greg maddox finished with 355 career victories jeremy how many of those were as a chicago cub how many were as a Chicago Cub? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to say – I'm going to say 165. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to literally do the reverse of Jeremy's answer and do a 180. So I'm going to answer 180, 180 victories as a Cub for Greg Maddox. Awesome. Well, you're both sort of close. Um, so I said 355 wins over a 23-year Major League career. He had 194 wins with Atlanta. Second most was with the Cubs. 133 wins over 10 years as a Chicago Cubs starter. Yeah, a little high. Went a little high. I was just thinking like 10 years, the average of 16, so I went 160. But that probably was too much, especially since the last year he was only a half year. Sure, sure. Dennis now he start was only a half year. Right. And, and he wrapped up his career at a couple of years in L.A., a couple of years in San Diego. With all of that in mind, where do you think he won more games between those two places? Peco Park or uh, Chavez Ravine? Now, is this a question of uh, with the team or specifically in the ballparks? Right. Randall's all about the nuance, making sure it's right. I just mean with the team. With the team. I am going to go the Dodgers because I think he might have been with them a little bit longer and he was – that was not the end of his career. San Diego was. So I'm going to guess the Dodgers. I'm, I'm going to get, I'll go opposite Randall. I'll guess the Padres because he was traded to Los Angeles and then he signed with San Diego as a free agent. So I'm going to guess the Padres. So um, it was the Padres, 20 wins, 20 losses over 60 starts with San Diego with the Dodgers eight and seven over 19 starts. Uh, but it looks like he did end his career again with the Dodgers. He was with the Dodgers in 06, ended up again there in 2008. And that's how the Mad Dogs Hall of Fame career came to a close. But I thought that was a good place to start. A second question here, we're going back to an all-time great Cubs team from our lifetime, 1998. Jeremy knows where I'm going with this. Lance, one dog Johnson. One of the Cubs center fielders that year, he finished third on the team in stolen bases. Um, he actually wrapped up that year with 10 stolen bases. That was third highest on the team. Who finished one and two on the 1998 Chicago Cubs in stolen bases? The 1998 Chicago Cubs, one and two. Wow. I'm going to guess that number one was uh, – well, I'm going to guess Sammy was one of the top two, although that might be a little late for that. But I'm going to guess Sammy. And the other one, I don't know. I'll guess uh, I'll guess Morandini. Okay. Randall, any, any other thoughts in there? Boy, stolen bases on the 1998 team, not in my wheelhouse. So I'm going to no. guess 
I'm going to guess Sammy is number one because Sammy, a little bit younger, still ran, ran more in that time. Um, so I'm going to guess Sammy number one. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have a guess for number two. So I'll just put Sammy in that number one spot. Well, you guys are right. So Sammy did lead the 1998 Chicago Cubs in stolen bases with 18. This was not a team that ran a whole lot. Um, his percentage wasn't very good either. It was 18 stolen bases, nine caught stealing. So not a really good ratio there. Mickey Morandini, the former Indiana Hoosier, the dandy little glove man, second on the team, 13 stolen bases in 14 tries. Lance Johnson was third. He was 10 for 16. And then other than that, Really nothing. Uh, a whole bunch of guys had four stolen bases. Jose Hernandez, Mark Grace, Manny Alexander, and Brant Brown. A couple mm -hmm. of other guys who picked up stolen bases that year. Scott Service, the catcher with a stolen base on the year. Henry Rodriguez, probably the last guy that I would think of on the 98 Cubs stealing a base. He swiped one that year. A couple other interesting guys on the bench, Tyler Houston, and then another Indiana Hoosier, Kevin Ory, with one stolen base, one caught stealing in 64 games with the 98 Cubs. So definitely not a team that was known for running, particularly in that era of baseball, but how about that? Sammy, 66 home runs. Um, his OPS was just over one and led the team with 18 stolen bases. He really did it all that year. Yeah. I was trying to, you know, go around the uh, diamond and try to think of there's like no speed on that team. I was thinking if it's not Lance Johnson, like <laughs> I was like going around, I'm like, I mean, Jose Hernandez popped in my head, but I didn't think he had enough games. But like, that's why I picked Morandini, like Blouser. No, there was no speed. Henry Rodriguez. No. Yes, Sosa's base stealing ability doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Well, he was a younger man. He ran quite a bit. Uh, 32 stolen bases in 1990 with the White Sox, 234 steals for his career. Um, obviously, the home runs are mostly what people talk about when we talk about Sammy. But as, as Pat Hughes likes to say, uh, he ran quite a bit as a younger man. So uh, maybe an underrated part of Sosa's skill set uh, in the early part of his career. Yeah, he was 30-30 guy. That's right. That's right. Um, and then our last question here, our final dog theme, I had to bring in uh, Fred McGriff, the crime dog, who was a Cub, a part of a memorable team there in 2001, stuck around for 2002. McGriff had a long Major League career, 19 years in Major League Baseball. He played for a handful of teams. My question to you all, when you think about Fred McGriff and the career that he had, what team do you think he hit his most career home runs with? So not maybe in one season, I just mean over the course of his 19-year Major League career. And I'll, I'll add one thing here. Um, let me list all the teams that he played for in his Major League career, and then you can kind of think about that. He And this is not in order, but the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, the Atlanta Braves, Toronto Blue Jays, San Diego Padres, Chicago Cubs, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So of all those teams, where do you think he hit the bulk of his four, um, let me uh, clarify that, 493 career home runs? So I know he was involved in some major trades with the Blue Jays and the Padres. I believe he was traded for Robbie Alomar. It was just a pretty big trade. Um, but in my, the Fred McGriff to me is always, and I don't even know if, how long he played for them, but to me in my head, he's always an Atlanta Brave. So I'm going to guess the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I'm going to go north of the border. I'm going to guess the Toronto Blue Jays. Really good guesses from both of you. Um, so in terms of where he hit the most home runs in his career, it was Atlanta. It was uh, a pretty close, though, 130 home runs in five years with the Atlanta Braves. He had 125 home runs in five years with the Toronto Blue Jays. 
But Randall, I'm in a giving mood. Huxley's in the house. I'm feeling good to get a, a pup here in the house. One thing that he did in Toronto that he never did in Atlanta is he led the league in home runs back in 1989, 36 home runs as a 25-year-old with the Toronto Blue Jays, and that was the best in the American League that year. Well, good to know that uh, all it takes is you being in a giving mood for me to, to echo out a, a partial victory in trivia. Well, good stuff all the way around there. I wanted to lean into the dog theme. So to have Greg Maddox, the mad dog, one dog, Lance Johnson, and then uh, the Fred McGriff taking a bite out of crime in his time with the Cubs. He was on one of my Fine favorite dog. teams of all time back in 2001. And there's an interesting story with that too, because he didn't want to go to the Cubs. He fought that tooth and nail, eventually going to the Cubs. And honestly, that delay in him, not agreeing to go earlier may have cost them a playoff berth because they really had a vacancy um, until he came on board. He had seven home runs in 49 games with the Cubs that year, had a pretty solid season in terms of home runs in 2002. He was a 38-year-old for that Cubs team in 146 games. He hit 30 home runs, had an OPS around 900. So decent year on a really bad team in 2002, but that set the stage for 03, Dustiny and everything else that came after that. So good stuff from you guys all the way around there. And uh, the MVP though today, Huxley, no question oh, about it. Definitely Huxley. Huxley, rookie of the year and MVP. He's going full Ichiro on us. Wow. And what did it take like 12 days or something for McGriff to okay that trade for the Cubs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was time. it was like two weeks. Yeah. And um, I was at his first game as a Chicago Cub. I remember it was Sunday night baseball. And when he finally agreed to come into the Cubs and they had a nationally televised game, my dad, and my brother and I were like, look, we got to be out there. We got to go see it. It's just one of those things. It was a big time acquisition at that time. And um, just a couple of weeks later, we made a, a point to be at the first game at Wrigley post 9-11. So in a couple of weeks there, very, very interesting things had changed here in America. And yeah, the Cubs ended up blowing it and missed the playoffs that year, had a 90 loss season the next year. And, and then it got okay in 2003, but interesting time in Cubs baseball. We'll certainly revisit it, but for now we want to keep things current and it's the end of spring training. We're less than a week away from opening day, a couple of positions that we still want to talk about here. Let's start with the catchers. Then we'll move into pitching the starting rotation and the bullpen. Um, but when you look at the catcher position for this Cubs team, Randall, there was a lot of concern this offseason. Is Wilson Contreras going to be a Cub on opening day? Well, we got to this point, he's there. And when you look at the Cubs backstops, it's maybe one of their stronger positions here going into opening day. Uh, for the record, I was never concerned whether Wilson was going to be a Cub on opening day. I'd just like to put that out there. Um, you know, Wilson Contreras is one of the better catchers in the league. When he's healthy, he's had a, a spate of lower body injuries in the past few years, and you wonder if they're maybe going to keep him out of the outfield this year um, to try and reduce that. But Wilson Contreras is, for the most part, everything you want in a catcher. He's got a good bat. Uh, he's got nothing but energy. He's got a cannon of an arm. Uh, according to the metrics, his framing improved drastically last year, which is one of the few things that was missing from his defensive ability. He's everything you want in your starting catcher. Uh, backup catcher is a little more interesting, and this is actually a point I meant to make last week about P.J. Higgins, and I completely blanked on it, is with Austin Romine, the backup veteran backup signed uh, this offseason, probably not starting the season on the roster as he deals with, uh, I believe, a knee injury. Uh, P.J. Higgins is probably your most likely backup catcher. He will require a 40-man spot to be cleared for him, and that might oh. cost the Cubs a, uh, a fringe arm 
that they might have hoped to keep uh, in the minors or at the alternate training site and hope and bring it along. Um, I don't necessarily know who the candidate for clearing that spot might be, but that's something to watch for is you're always at risk of losing guys on the fringe you might want to try and keep and work with as you add your, your minor leaguers to the 40-man roster at the end of spring training. So that's something to watch out for when they add P.J. Higgins is who gets taken off the 40-man. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so looking, going back to what he was, Randall was talking about Wilson. Um, yeah, Wilson, you know, I didn't think he'd get traded either, but uh, he, he's an interesting guy. He, as Randall mentioned, he's very excitable, uh, you know, behind the plate. He's an athletic guy, probably one of the more athletic catchers. Um, so in the past, it's, to me, that's always kind of been a negative a little bit because he moves around so much behind the plate, but he's really kind of settled, especially when he's trying to do pick throws, you know, he's really kind of settled down. I feel like over the past year, you know, to get, cause you want a quiet catcher, one that the pitcher yeah. feels comfortable throwing to framing, you know, is a big deal with that. Uh, so Wilson had so much movement, but you know, it's nice to see him as Randall said, drastically improve those metrics and to go with PJ Higgins. If I remember correctly, I think PJ Higgins started off, I think he was drafted as like a second baseman and they moved him to behind the plate. Um, I feel like he went to old dominion or something, but it doesn't matter um, <laughs> when they drafted him. <laughs> uh, and so it would be interesting to see if, cause I feel like he's the guy that's probably gonna start the team. I think Romine was out running or something, uh, but he's still, you know, got a ginger knee. So I don't expect him to make opening day. So it'll be interesting to see if PJ Higgins gives him any sort of uh, flexibility, you know, with a uh, middle infield or infield. Uh, if he, uh, you know, I think he started off as a middle infielder. Jeremy, you are correct. As you so often are PJ Higgins was drafted out of old dominion. As we said last, last week in the 12th round of the 2015 draft in his first season in the minors with the Cubs, he actually played second base and third base. I uh, played the infield exclusively second base, third base, and a little bit of shortstop. He did not make his first appearance at catcher in the Cubs minor league system until that next season, 2016 at South Bend. So you are correct. He was drafted and began in the Cubs system as a middle infielder. It's always fun, you know, to look at that guys that started in one position that that segue into something else. Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong here. Wasn't Randy Wells a catcher when he was first a minor leaguer before transitioning into a pitcher and then a starting pitcher? Does that sound right? It does sound right. I do, I, I'm not yeah. exactly sure, but I, I do believe he did. Yeah, I think he did uh, transition from catcher. I know he, uh, uh, his brother played at Illinois. He was punter on the football team for Wells, but uh, he came from downstate. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of where he was because he drafted him out of the community college. Belleville. Belleville, right. Yeah. And um, yeah, by St. Louis. And so, um, yeah, I think he was a catcher. I mean, Pedro Strope was a catcher. Right, Pedro he was, was a, I believe, an infielder. An infielder, okay. Pedro infielder. Was, but he was a, he was a. In his own player. words, in his own words, he uh, could field just fine. He couldn't hit for you know what, and so they moved that uh, that shortstop's arm to the mound. Henley Jansen, a very famous example of a converted catcher, he actually uh, played in the I believe the 2006 World Baseball Classic for the Netherlands and uh, played catcher in that World Baseball Classic, uh, and he was moved to the mound. Not too long after that, again, you got these eyes, these guys who are position players with strong arms, um, maybe not a lot of hitting ability, and organizations try and get a lot of value out of that arm. Anthony Ghost, former major league outfielder who's still bouncing around uh, as a, a hard throwing pitcher. I don't believe he's made the majors as a pitcher yet, but you know it's not terribly common, but it does happen where you got these these strong armed position players who can't hit their weight, and teams will take those arms and try them out on the mound. Yeah, I, I was I was actually 
when I, I confused pitcher Strope with uh, Carlos Marmol, I was thinking Carlos Marmol, I believe, was a catcher. And uh, and speaking of Kenley Jansen, I believe he caught uh, Clayton Kershaw in the minors. Wow. It's just neat. It's, it's cool seeing guys mm-hmm. change positions and then figure it out. Um, there's other examples, too. You know, Rick Ankiel uh, ran well, into all those you know issues on the mound. And who's the that? I made the majors both ways. Um, Brooks Kieschnick. Brooks Kieschnick, absolutely. Brooks a former Kieschnick. Cubs top prospect. I remember who, who... a Cubs magazine calling him the, uh, the human Swiss Army knife. Infielder, <laughs> infielder, pitcher, and pinch hitter. I mean, today, a guy like that, you know, they might develop him both ways. Two-way guy. It, it's something that's interesting and changing in baseball. And we see like Otani in Anaheim. This is a guy who's a very good pitcher and also a competent hitter. And if you can do both, maybe that's what's coming. Maybe that's this next era of baseball that we're going to see over the next 10, 15, 20 years as athletes get better, as the training systems from, let's be honest, like little league up to high school into the minor leagues and all the way up to the majors. It's a completely different ball game right now than what it was 15 years ago. Maybe we will start to see more two-way players here uh, other than Anthony Rizzo, of course, who's established himself as doing a little bit of everything for the Cubs here the last couple of years. Career ERA um, of 0.00. It's, it's just, it's awesome. I, I think it's really neat when, players sort of reinvent themselves or get a second wind in baseball by finding another position. And it just goes to, I think, show you how impossible it is to get to the major leagues and to stay up there, but that some players, the difference in them maybe becoming a major leaguer is a coach somewhere in a ball saying, you know what, you need to get off the mound and move to second base or get behind the backstop. That happens to some guys. It works out. Other guys, their career just never goes anywhere. And we don't know who they are because, you know, their career comes to a halt. But I think, I think with regards to the backstop, this is a position the Cubs have quite a bit of depth in. And the reason why I was worried about Wilson Contreras being traded in the off season is he's got so much value. He's an elite backstop. Um, certainly offensively, he's uh, very much improved his framing to the point that when he was first up, you know, around 16, he was terrible behind the plate. He's gotten much better there. It's something that teams value. But when I think the Cubs get to opening day here, you've got one of the top catchers in baseball starting. Austin Romine, who eventually will be on this team once he can get healthy. This is a guy that's been on very good teams in New York, one of the better backups in baseball. And then P.J. Higgins, who got the start today behind the plate, he was catching the Cubs opening day starter and Kyle Hendricks. There's depth there. And I think that that's a strength that when when you look at this Cubs roster going to opening day, I'm not worried at all about the catcher position. I think they're going to be just fine there. And now I'm wondering is there a possibility Wilson could be extended? You know, maybe he is one of the guys that is going to get a contract extension and he is going to be around moving forward. He's only going into his age 29 season. Uh, he's got two 20 homer seasons under his belt. He was well on his way last year to another one. I think he's a guy that I'd love to see stay in Chicago. If the financials make sense, if the Cubs are going to be aggressive here over the next couple of years, in my opinion, they're a better team with Wilson Contreras there than not. Yeah, I think they're a better team with Wilson. I just, I, I, I don't think that, um, I don't feel like that's probably a pressing need for them right now to extend sure. it. Cause first of all, they have all the guys right now they're probably working on, you know, I, before we even came on here, I saw Heyman tweeted out that the Cubs had made an offer to uh, Anthony Rizzo. Excellent. Uh, and that, you know, there's still a bit of a gap, but he was talking about, you know, there's a week left before the season. So yeah, um, the text from Rizzo's agent must've come through at about nine o'clock. <laughs> that the Cubs made an offer, but Hey man, make an offer, but that they had already made an offer. So we'll see. But, um, but you know, the one thing, you know, you talk about the catcher as a strength. The other thing is catcher is kind of also a strength in the Cubs minor system. So yeah, 
I wouldn't necessarily necessarily be surprised if they do make a move with Wilson because they, if depending on how like Miguel Amaya looks or some other guys they have in the minors, that's a place where they could possibly reload. So absolutely. And the the thing that's frustrating about Amaya is we didn't get to see him last year. We don't know how much he's developed. We do know that he fell off, for example, like the Fangraphs top hundred prospects. But that they also said we didn't get a chance to see him. We don't really know what's there. They were kind of going off of things that they heard from scouts and, and things like that. So it's going to be very interesting across the minors this year, actually seeing those guys play again and getting a sense of who has developed in the last year, who's taken some major sets back. But I think that the Cubs catcher majors and minors, like you're saying, Jeremy, it's an area of strength for this team going into opening day and beyond. And, and that's a plus an area that we've got a little bit more concern about is pitching. Although starting rotation has had a really good spring for what it's worth. The main four guys, Kyle Hendricks, Arietta, Zach Davies, Trevor Williams, they've gotten their work in. It's been a promising start for them. I don't know how that's going to carry over into a full season, but Randall, I think you've got to at least be encouraged that everything we're seeing up to this point, particularly Arietta and Williams are, they appear to be healthy and things look better than they have the last year or two. Yeah. You're, you're either going to, perform well in the spring or you're not you're going to be underwhelming in the spring if it's going to be one or the other you might as well perform well Trevor Williams we've talked about it on a weekly basis that he's been in that pitch lab trying to get a a different shape as they call it on that slider trying to get more of a sweeping motion and so far in the spring it seems to be working pretty well for him Zach Davies you know I don't know that I liked him much when he was uh, with the Brewers but that (laughs) seems like seems like that's because the Cubs could never hit him but he's going to be kind of a, a poor man's Kyle Hendricks. He's going to go out there and he's going to mix up his pitches and he's going to probably be reliable more so than not, as long as he, he uh, doesn't walk a lot of guys. Kyle Hendricks, you don't have to worry about. He's going to be there for you no matter what. And Jake Arietta is kind of the X factor here. If he can, he's never going to be obviously 2015 great again. Uh, very few ever will. But if he can be a reliable Uh, next turn in that rotation guy, then your rotation, it's not necessarily going to be a strength, but it's not going to be as much of a concern. And all off season, all we talked about was the fact that their rotation is as thin as it is. And if you have four guys who you feel reasonably confident in, you know, they're not going to blow anybody away, but if they're going to give you solid work every time through the rotation, you are in that much better of a spot. And spring has made it that much easier to have, that uh, limited degree of confidence in this rotation. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing we, we've, we talked about, I, I feel like with these guys is that the Cubs are really kind of betting on their own development and pitching infrastructure. Like they're, they're, they're betting that they can take these guys and get more out of them than somebody else could uh, like yeah. Arietta returning. They're going to get more out of Arietta than, uh, you know, Philly got or, Trevor Williams coming here, they're going to get more than what Pittsburgh had. And so they, they think that they, that Tommy Hadovy and, and Mike Borzello and the pitching infrastructure in the pitch lab, as Randall mentioned, that they're able to, you know, increase guys value or increase their abilities. They think that they have that ability. And I feel like with pitching, I kind of feel like that's something that's like more likely to do with pitching than with hitting. Cause like with pitching, I feel like you can change a grip. You can change an arm angle. You can try to develop another pitch. I mean, it's not easy. It's difficult, but it's there. And if a guy figures something out, then he can figure it out. I, I feel like it's a little different with offense. You kind of, you, you can't really do that. I don't feel like, but with pitching, I do feel like you, you can, 
you know, I'm not saying that any of these guys are going to be elite pitchers, but uh, I think you can, you know, get, you know, decent outings out of them. They're not going to, hopefully they're not going to kill, you know, the staff. I've Trevor Williams has looked pretty good in spring. Yeah. Uh, Arietta's looked, as you mentioned, all these guys, another guy who we haven't talked about, or we, and we've talked about in the past, but we don't know how he'll be. If he makes a team or not, Shelby Miller, Shelby Miller's looked pretty good. You know, uh, that's a guy that they're talking about maybe could be doing some starting, you know, with, as Ronan, has, you've mentioned in the past few weeks that we're, there's no guarantee on innings with any of these guys, because last year with the shortened innings, we like, you're not going to get a whole bunch of, you know, you have to get like 600 innings out of these guys, but yeah. who knows where they're going to come from. So you're going to want more arms. And if a guy like Shelby Miller, you could get more out of him, who knows? So it's looked pretty good. The pitching has looked good. Now it's spring training. So you yeah, obviously whatever, but as Randall said, you know, it's better to look good and not look good. Right. So you'd rather healthy. go. Yeah, exactly. They're healthy. You'd rather go in feeling good, feeling confident than the alternative. Um, I mean, Kyle has struggled a little bit, but as we all know, we've all have faith in Kyle. So we think he'll be fine, but uh, yeah. So I, the rotation, I've been pretty surprised by the rotation and, it's a little, I'm being, I feel a little more optimistic towards it. For sure. And and we, we have mentioned, I think last week too, when we were talking about the infield, infield defense should be a strength for this team all around the infield, even regardless of who's at second base. It seems like Nico has earned that job, um, but whether it's Bodie, whether Sogard's over there a little bit, the infield defense, the main guys, Bryant, Baez, whoever's at second, Rizzo, they're going to be fine. And that's going to help this starting rotation. We know these guys are locks. Kyle Hendricks, Jake Arrieta, Zach Davies, Trevor Williams. Jeremy, today, who's your five? Who, who earned that spot? Well, right now, I still think it's going to be Alzali. I know that they he got an op, another option. The arbitrator gave him one, so he could maybe they do have the option of not having him make the team if they feel like somebody else. Um, but he pitched pretty well. Uh, was it last night or night or night ago? Um, so he looked pretty last good night, yeah. last night. Yeah. So he looked pretty good. I, I I just I feel like it's still him. I Mills hasn't really done much for me. Um, I still think he'll make the team. He'll probably be like a long man and maybe, you know, with Alzali. And as I mentioned before, who knows, Shelby Miller could come out of nowhere and, and grab that five spot or at least get a significant uh, rotation time. But I think as of right now, I, I still would go with Adbert. I still think he has the most potential. He might have the most potential of anybody on, you know, the staff outside of maybe Hendricks because he's the only guy with actual like elite stuff. I'm, I'm not necessarily elite, but he could throw the fastball 95 96 because decent breaking balls he's developing so i think i think that's something you would want to have in the rotation randall yeah, what do you think i i was maybe somewhat inclined to think that they might that advert might be the odd man out given the extra option year and given the numbers game but i think you kind of have to put him in the rotation to start the season he's put in so much work and the cubs have given him every opportunity to show that and as jeremy said uh, a night ago the thursday night game he pitched uh great five strikeouts in a relatively short outing, I believe. Um, and he is really your only starting pitching option who has any kind of big strikeout ability. I, I think you kind of have to start him as your number five man. And maybe as Jeremy said, keep Mills as a, a long man in the bullpen, maybe even a guy you piggyback with Adbert um, a, a time or two through the rotation. You count on Adbert for four or five and then turn it over to Mills and see how much he can give you the rest of the way. Um, so yeah, I, I might've, I might've been inclined to say that the extra option here makes Adbert the odd man out, but I think they will put him in the rotation to start the season and see how he holds up 
as a, an every fifth day starter, which he has not for the most part had the opportunity to do in the major leagues. It feels like he's made a lot of spot starts. He's gone maybe one or two or three times through the rotation before he gets sent back down. I'd like to see them give him that extended look and really see what he can be for you at the major league level. And uh, usually I haven't really quite looked at the schedule this early, but often there's a lot of off days early in the season. So it wouldn't surprise me if they don't really, if they go with more of a four man rotation early and Adver doesn't really get a lot of time. So maybe that would be a reason why you don't start him and maybe you'd use somebody like Mills. You know, walk me through this, this though. So an arbiter basically ruled that Adbert gets a fourth minor league option. That's a huge break for the Cubs. That gives them unbelievable roster flexibility. What Walk me through what happened with that, though. So I didn't really follow it super closely, but it has to deal with uh, the fact that with the pandemic last year and the shortened season, especially with minor league guys, and I, I'd have to really look through. Maybe Randall has more details on it. But, uh, you know, it was up to arbitration on certain guys as to whether or not they qualified for an extra option. Um, I, somebody, somebody else recently was just denied one, so – Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, Randall, do you have more details on it or no? You know, I was not really aware that it was being uh, arbitrated over. Uh, I, I saw the reporters come out with the information when it had apparently been decided. But, uh, you know, the question of service time is always uh, in flux, it seems. Question of who is a super two every year, who gets that, who, who is arbitration eligible that, eligible that much more quickly. So it seems like they're able to play kind of fast and loose with service time and service years, uh, depending on what the, the arbitrator decides. But as Ronan said, it gives the roster uh, a lot more flexibility. If you feel like Adbert is better served starting season at the alternate training site, um, the, the Cubs have the option to do that and put in Mills as their number five starter. So uh, I, again, for Adbert's sake, I hope he gets that chance, but that is the nature of being kind of on the fringe of the roster is sometimes you are an unfortunate victim of the numbers game. And if that is the case, I hope Adbert's able to go to the ATS and keep working and he can be a factor for the team uh, starting in May or June when our innings are starting to pile up a little bit on guys and you're going to need that sixth and seventh starter. Well, I yeah. hope Adbert doesn't, let me put it this way. I hope Adbert doesn't like Des Moines and he's got extra incentive to stay out of there. No knock on it. It's a fine Midwestern city. It's a great, well, I, I think the they're Cubs. starting off in South Bend, right? The alternate training site. Sure. I just mean, though, I mean, the option's oh. good for the year. So at some point, That's if true. he's not performing well, there's that threat of, look, you can play at Wrigley Field every day, or you can go back to Des Moines, Iowa and hang out there. And sometimes that's that, that helps, I think, having uh, maybe a less attractive AAA site than a fun city where there would be distractions for a major leaguer. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't something that was specific to uh, Adbert. It was uh, there was a like a group of guys that were in Adbert's situation, multiple players that had some, and uh, the MLPPA filed grievances on their behalf to try to get this out and deal with the options and the situation. And so I, I'm not exactly sure of the details, but that's what happened. And there has been a bunch of rulings on different players, and Adbert got a, was ruled to have a, a fourth option, so qualified for him. But uh, the good thing about the alternate training site is it seems like they will be playing schedule a schedule this year against Great. other teams. I've seen that the White Sox have like talked about they're playing the Brewers and the, the they're actually going to play a game against the Cubs at guaranteed rate field, the alternate training sites. I think they have like a 13 game schedule. Is, you know, will that be open to the public? Cause if I, if I lived at home back in Chicago, I would be there. But it's, I thought it was interesting that they're going to play a game against the Cubs. I guess it'd be like B squads or whatever. 
I, I for one, neat. can't wait to see that South Bend Schaumburg alternate training site rivalry <laughs> develop. Almost yeah. as exciting as the uh, the Geneva Rosemont rivalry between Kane County and the Chicago Dogs. It is cool. I, I mean, something that we've done, um, I think the three of us, when the Peoria Chiefs played the minor league game at Wrigley Field, goodness, that must have been like a decade ago or... now or we're, more. We're, we're talking 2007, 2008, 2006, yeah. somewhere in that span. Well, we were out there and we had a good time. And, and I remember um, another year, I, think I don't Rhino think it was, was uh, yeah, yeah. But there was another year where I don't think it was Iowa. I think it must have been either West Tennessee or whoever the affiliate was in double A at that time, my dad and I going. And what was really neat about that is when I go to Wrigley Field with my dad, we generally never sit in the bleachers. And that's because, you know, he's, he's a little older guy. He doesn't like the not having the back seat, right? Former college football players, knees are all messed up. He wants to be able to sit back when he's at the ball game. But it was very fun that we went to a minor league game and we ended up sitting we changed sections in that ballpark like every other inning. We started in the upper deck. We moved to the lower deck. We went out into the bleachers and ended up watching a couple of innings out there. And I thought that that was pretty cool. I think it's great when minor league teams play in the major league ballparks. And that's something that um, I would make a habit of going to if I could. I was actually just telling somebody the other day, if I lived in Phoenix, the Arizona Fall League would be a constant for me. I'd be out there all the time. I think it's a wonderful event. It's amazing. It basically gets nobody to attend those ball games. Ryan, yeah, I, you are, I, we are correct, by the way. July 29th, 2008, the uh, Ryan Sandberg managed Peoria Chiefs against the Kane County Cougars at Wrigley Field. 32,000 fans present. Unbelievable. In that contest. That's a pretty good number. Um, I, uh, I was going to say, I, yeah, I think Iowa. I think Iowa played there. Peoria played there. But I always, I, I've been a few times. I, I enjoy going to the uh, high school American game at Wrigley. Yeah. That's always a fun thing to go to. You see a lot of guys end up in the majors uh, pretty early on. And, the three of you know, us were at one of those. We went, we went to one of those. And um, it's not very packed. It's open. You basically just walk right in. I don't even think they really charge. So Ticket, Tickets are free. You walk up to the uh, the box office and you ask for a handful. Yeah, and sit wherever you want. So it's always fun to see. You know, you can just go wherever you want. Walk around right, Wrigley, look, some baseball out. I'll get into a ballpark any opportunity that I can get. And I'll say something that's been neat here in the last – like two or three days or so they're getting course field ready for opening day video board's been on pa system has been on they actually lift a giant i think it's a toyota forerunner on top of the video board it's like a i don't know it's an advertisement right but it's, it's one of the dinger's, things that dinger's car once i see dinger bring that ford in or not a ford it's a i think it's a toyota once i see dinger bring that in it's like okay we're ready for opening day here. We're on the cusp of it and they start next Thursday as well. So I'm excited. It's just fun to see the ballpark coming back to life, knowing that people are going to be back out there. But if you want to laugh about something, um, two Instagram accounts that I think are worth looking at, they're both very, very similarly related right now. Look at any post on at Rockies and every single comment is sell the team. The owner sucks. Why do you guys get rid of Nolan? The only other team right now that I'm finding that consistently on is the Chicago bears. You go in there, they're just announcing, I don't know, some charity event. And all of the comments are sell the team. Andy Dalton sucks. It just makes me laugh. Andy I mean, Dalton I feel announcement was amazing. It was they, they like tweeted QB, out some QB one with well, the they, they did uh, the first one. That was a little later. The first one when they signed him, they tweeted out and it was like this big, like, oh, Cubs signing Andy Dalton or Cubs Bears. It was like some tweet. And oh my God, that thing, that ratio on that tweet was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm really upset that the Cubs traded you Darvish for Andy Dalton. I'm not sure what the thought process was there. 
You know, I, I ended up, really quick aside, and then we'll talk about the Cubs bullpen. I ended up in um, a restaurant here in Denver yesterday. I've been off most of this week, building up to bring in Huxley home. And um, was in there, and they had intentional talk on the TV on mute. And it kind of had my attention because they were doing their Colorado Rockies preview. So, you know, I like just seeing Charlie Blackman and, and some of the guys here on the team. But uh, the new co-host, along with Kevin Millar, I don't recognize the guy, but he's from the Chicago area. He's a White Sox fan. He's a Bears fan. And he's, I think, a Blackhawks fan. Those were the teams that he had listed. But it was basically a list of what are your favorite things and least favorite things in the world. And he said, Chicago bears football is one of his favorite things. The teams that he hates in the world, Chicago bears, bears football. And I, I get it totally. It's like, I love the bears. I want the bears to be good. They have sucked by and large, just about every year of our life. There've been a couple of decent runs in there. We saw a Super Bowl appearance. We saw another NFC championship with Cutler. But other than that, my God, it's been awful. And there's really no hope in sight that it's going to be great anytime soon. It's it's one good year out of every five or six. And it's like the 90s Cubs. It is, it is. And, you know, uh, 2018 will always haunt me. Uh, I honestly think that team would have at least made it to the Super Bowl if not for their complete head case of a kicker. Uh, yeah, that, that season that season will always haunt me, 2018. Well, I thought 2010 right. would if Color didn't get hurt. Yeah. And well, I got to ask you this, Jeremy, too. After a 10-win season. Jeremy, you have been at a lot of sporting events in Chicago over the years. You've been at some big moments. There's a couple of ones that kind of come to mind for me. You were at Game 7 of the NLCS in 2003, the Kerry Wood-Homer game before, mm-hmm. obviously, things didn't end well. Um, you have been at, you're a Blackhawks partial season ticket holder. You're a Cubs partial season ticket holder. You're a Bears season ticket holder. Was the double doink the single lowest moment that you've had at a sporting event in Chicago? The double doink was incredible <laughs> because I, it, I was, I, I didn't even like feel anything. I was just like in disbelief. I couldn't believe that happened. And for my seats, it was the end zone on the opposite side. I see. So, so I saw it and I was like, I I actually didn't realize it double doinked at the time. I thought it just hit one one uh, pole. One upright. Because <laughs> one upright, yeah. Because I if I believe if I remember correctly, did they did they ice him? Because I thought he made a kick before that and then they iced him and then he did it. And the first one looked good and I was like pretty confident about it. I'm like, all right, we're going. And then they did it and I was just like, oh my god, like I was in disbelief. It was weird because like I was in total disbelief. But like, yet I like expected it. Yes. And I was like, that's the perfect way to end this. And the crazy thing was, I remember going, uh, he had all those issues during the year. I think I went to a game against the Lions and he, he, he doinked like four of them and three of them were like extra points. And I think he had a doink against Miami earlier in the year. And it was just like, you knew he was going to doink it. Like, it, it, but I didn't actually see the double doink. And I, there was, oh my God, walking out of there, I will, there were a lot of swear words. I can just tell you that. <laughs> You know, a lot, cold. but I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Like, I, I was a disbelief, almost like how I was this past weekend against the Illini because I was just like, I, I don't know what to say to this. We just got our ass kicked, but like, there's nothing I could say. But there, I was just like, that was disbelief. It's so cold, sick horror is, is the term I like to use when you watch something like that in sports. Uh, disbelief is the, the continuing theme, just the inability to process what you just saw. And that that actually just happened. And, you know, it's, that's maybe a, a singular moment across sports. If you give up a, a walk-off home run in baseball, you're watching the other team celebrate at home plate yeah. and your guys walking off the field. 
you know, you lose in hockey, the other team is celebrating at, at center ice. Uh, just the, 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 the aftermath of the, the double doink, where it's just stunned silence. Yeah. It's just inability to believe what you just saw. And I'm not sure I'll ever completely forget that. Like the words double doink, I think are always going to send a chill down my spine because sure. they, they elicit that one very specific moment in, in sports watching history. And right. shout out to our friend uh, Ryan McVeigh at whose house I was watching and Ray Bluntz with whom I was watching that game as well. Just, just a room full of people who could not believe what they just witnessed. I've yeah. seen my teams lose a lot of games, though, so especially <laughs> in big moments. I saw the Illini get their destroyed in the Rose Bowl. I saw the Bears get destroyed in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's just Chicago, it's Chicago is kind of the, the Baskin Robbins of sports trauma. We have 31 flavors of, of sports trauma. Yeah, so, they're yeah. mostly losses. The best, <laughs> moment I, the best moment I think has been, for me personally, was the Bears Conference Championship game in 06 when they went to the Super Bowl. Other than that, me in person, I feel like I've seen a lot of losses in big moments. Yeah. Well, it makes you a better fan. You got to yeah. be there for the bad moments in order to really appreciate the good ones. And sort of my final thought on the double doink was I remember leaving work that Friday and my boss at the time big NFL fan. He's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So he's seen some good football here the last couple of years. And by the way, a Kansas City Chiefs fan living in Denver. So he put up with a lot of bullshit for a lot of years. He's been enjoying the hell out of the last two or three years or so. But I remember leaving and he said, all right, Ronan, what do you think this weekend? I said, look, Steve, as long as it doesn't come down to special teams, Bears are fine. As soon as the kick was missed, he goes, huh, special teams. So <laughs> we saw it coming. That was the thing. To your point, Jeremy, a moment ago, like it wasn't that surprising. He had a rough season. There were lots of problems leading up to that game. And then, of course, it came down to the kicker. And um, one thing that's pretty consistent about the Bears, they've been bad most of our life. But the years that the Bears are bad, they've got a pretty good kicker. And the years that the Bears are good, I guess, you know, Robbie was obviously solid in the Super Bowl run. But it's like the year the Bears needed a kicker, they didn't have it. And they got double doinked, and that's the end of the season. But let's talk about a part of the Cubs team that never lets us down, the bullpen, right? Yeah. They've never done anything to piss us the off over the years. Never, <laughs> never, not even for a second. Randall, as we get closer to opening day here, some of these positions are locked down. Uh, Kimbrell's the closer. Of course, we knew that at the start of spring training. His last couple of outings have been much better than his first two. Um, Andrew Chafin from the left side, a couple of power arms, Ryan Tapera, Brandon Workman. As we get ready for opening day here, is the bullpen a strength for this Cubs team or are there still too many question marks? You know, I've been talking about baseball for too long to ever call any bullpen a strength just because relievers are so volatile, even on a week-to-week basis. Um, all you can do is kind of put together names with decent track records and hope for the best. So I'm not going to necessarily call the bullpen a strength, but these are guys we've seen do good things in major league bullpens before. Craig Kimbrell has obviously been there a long time and he knows what he's doing there. Um, Chafin, Workman, Tapera all have histories of being effective. Tapera as recently as last season. Um, and then as Jeremy and I were discussing uh, before you, you signed in uh, prior to the show, probably Jason Adam and Dan Winkler are probably locks based on uh, roster status um, and probably reliability. Jason Adam surprised a little bit last year with um, a strikeout ability. I don't know that anybody was necessarily predicting. Jason Adam in the shortened 2020 season, he struck out uh, 11 batters in only five and two thirds innings. Uh, so he has, he's added a little bit of strikeout ability to that arsenal. Um, so uh, Jason Adam, probably a lock. Really, I think the question is who else they're gonna go with from that left side. 
Right now, Andrew Chafin is the only real lock uh, as a left-handed reliever out of the bullpen for the Cubs. Other candidates include Brad Wick, uh, throwing from the left side. And uh, beyond that, if you want another lefty reliever, you're probably going to have to look into your non-roster pool. Uh, Brandon, Li Brandon Little, probably not any kind of chance to make the opening day roster. I know Adam Morgan was in camp. I don't think he has pitched yet uh, this offseason or this preseason. So Rex Brothers, if you wanted yet another lefty reliever, would probably be next in line for that. So I'm a little curious to see how many lefties they feel they need and who they'll go with. But as you said, as far as the locks so far, I think we have Kimbrell, Chafin, Workman, Adam, Tapera, and Winkler. And the number of spots left depend a lot on how many relievers you think they'll keep. I think uh, if they go with two lefties, I think, it, I think it'll be brothers. I think Rex brothers has, I mean, it could be wick, but uh, I think it'll be brothers. Um, you know, there's a question um, whether like we mentioned before, Shelby Miller, if he makes a team, where's he going to fit in? Will he be in the bullpen? Alec Mills, as a lie, one of them will probably be in the bullpen if they both make it. So, you know, but uh, so that I could see them only taking one lefty, but um when you're talking about whether or not the bullpen is a strength, I think it really comes down to Kimbrell. I really do. I think, I think most of the bullpen will be fine, but it's going to come down to how Kimbrell is in the back end. If he's solid, then I think it'll be a strength. If Kimbrell is not, if they struggle with the ninth inning, then I think you're going to have serious questions. So I think this bullpen will go as Craig Kimbrell grows. Um, I like most of them. I think most of them, uh, Adam, as Randall mentioned, Dan Winkler, Ryan Tapera, three guys last year that, you know, were, under the radar signings, minor league signings, some of them came in. They all have decent stuff. They all work, as we mentioned, the the pitch lab, and they were they all put together a pretty solid season. They got better as the year went on too. Uh, Tapera maybe not as quite, but Winkler and Adam got better as the year went on. Yeah, uh, Winkler did a lot of work. Excuse me, uh, Adam did a lot of work on the alternate training site. Came up, he uh, shortened. He had Tommy John surgery. I think he might even had two Tommy John surgeries, so he shortened his. Um, arm action so he has kind of a quick arm action not very long game like he used to but uh, yeah he can throw hard he throws good and he has i think he has decent movement on his fastball so i, I think those guys will all be their workmen um one guy who they signed kind of struggled is jonathan holder so I'm, and he's hurt i think randall mentioned earlier he's dealing with i believe an upper body injury right so he's probably, probably not gonna make the and ron wick on yeah. the dl il excuse me um, probably not going to make, probably not going to make a, a, an appearance at the start of the season, but uh, you know, I, I like the Chafin signing cause he could work both sides with the three batter minimum. So I think the bullpen will be pretty solid. It's just a question of Craig Kimbrell to me. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a great point. And Shelby and with, Miller, Shelby Miller is actually my, I don't know if he's a dark horse candidate, but I, I have him in my projected bullpen. I think they have given him opportunity to prove himself this spring. And I think he's, I think he's shown out in that opportunity. Shelby Miller this spring, he has pitched nine inning for the Cubs. He has struck out 12. He's walked five. He's allowed one run earned uh, and he's allowed seven hits in those nine innings. I think he is, uh, I think he's probably set to make that bullpen. I think they'll use him kind of in a variety of roles. I think they'll try and use him uh, maybe a couple innings at a time, maybe a spot start here and there. But I think uh, again, in spring, you have so many guys who are vying for spots teams aren't going to give opportunities to guys they don't think might contribute. I think they've given Shelby Miller an opportunity to prove that he uh, maybe belongs in the bullpen. And I think he's responded to that. So if I had to pick one guy from the non-roster pool that I think is going to make the bullpen, 
Shelby Miller would be my pick for that. And in fact, in he pitched twice in this past week, both outings and inning, both outings, two strikeouts. So I think I think he's going to make that opening day bullpen personally. I think they're going to give him a try. And I think they're going to see if he can be an effective uh, middle reliever with strikeout ability. Well, that's a perfect segue, Randall, because I want to make some predictions. So I got a couple of things here. I just kind of want to rapid fire go through this here, uh, starting with the Cubs. Randall, I want to start with you. Wins. Where do the Cubs finish? How many wins this year for the 2021 Cubs? Uh, you know, I'm going to go I, I, as I was writing out my picks before the uh, before the recording and Jeremy can can vouch because I was kind of writing these out loud. Uh, I'm going to try and keep the Homer picks to a, a distinct minimum uh, throughout here. But I am going to pick the Cubs with 90 wins and a an NL Central division title. That's where I'm going to wow. put the Cubs. I think you got a lot of guys with a chip on their shoulder and something to prove. And uh, as much as I am typically loathe to try and put faith in things like that ships on shoulders and things to prove uh, it's my team. So I'm allowed. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull rank here and I'm going to say 90 wins and a division title for the Cubs. All right. Randall's going with 90 Jeremy final win tally for the Cubs this year. Well, I thought I was going to be optimistic, but apparently I'm not as optimistic as Randall. I was going to go with 87 wins and I thought that was going to be a nice optimistic total. So uh, I'm going to go with 87 wins for the 2021 Cubs. Jeremy, we're going to, in a minute here, make our playoff predictions, but you got me wondering here, is 87 enough for the division? Is 87 enough for a wild I think, card this year? I think 87 will be enough for the division. All right, so you're both oh, calling division, division winners. Champs. Okay, 90 wins from Randall, 87 from Jeremy. I'll be the pessimist here in the group. I think this team's going to be 500. I worry about a slow start, and um, I think that there is definitely talent on this team particularly when you look at the lineup one through nine, it's, it's a very solid offensive team. I'm just not sure all these guys are going to be around come August 1st. And if that's the case, the wins are going to drop off rather rapidly in the second half of the year. So I'm going 581 wins for the Cubs this year. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm very wrong here. I want this team to win more than anything. I'm just not too optimistic that they're going to make it happen this year. A there, couple more questions, some, there's, some there's sort so of much, predictions. There's so much variance in this team. Yes. 90 wins doesn't seem out of the question. Uh, 75 wins wouldn't necessarily seem out of the questions. There is a lot of variance and there's not a lot of margin for error. So you're, right. you're not necessarily wrong with your I'm never wrong well right sure we'll go with that (laughs) let's talk about offense for a minute here Jeremy who do you think ends up finishing number one on the Cubs in terms of offensive war this year offensive war uh I am going to go with Jock Peterson I think Jock Peterson's gonna have a big year um my one question would be I don't know how much game he'll play games he will play against right-handed pitching so that could put a dent in his offensive war that he's not gonna get as many Played appearances, but I still think Jock's going to have a monster year. I think he's – so I'm going to go with Jock as topping the offensive war. Randall, who you got on offensive war leader? Uh, I'm going to go with Javi. I'm going to have Javi as my Ooh. offensive war leader for the Cubs this year. Okay, and I'm, I'll split the difference here. I got faith KB's going to have a great year, and I'm trying to stay optimistic that maybe he's sticking around. So I see Chris Bryant bouncing back, having a great offensive season. He'll be the everyday starter at third, so he's going to get plenty of at-bats, assuming he can stay healthy. So I'll go with Chris Bryant there. Who leads the team in pitcher war this year, Randall? Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks is the leader in pitcher war for the Cubs in 2021. Jeremy, who you got? Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna go with Randall. I'm gonna say Kyle Hendricks is gonna end up being their best pitcher. 
Well, it's clearly going to be Alec Mills. No, no, no. I'm with you guys. It's probably Kyle Hendricks. I think he's just, he's been solid year in and year out. His spring aside, I'm not worried in the least bit about him. And one of the things last year too, one of those badass moments in last season was Kyle Hendricks on opening day. After that long delay, we finally get baseball and he goes up and he just shoves it to the Brewers. That was awesome. Yeah. If not for Orlando Arcia, he pitches a perfect game on there's opening a lot, night. There's a lot of if not for Orlando Arcia. There, there is too much. There is too much, if not for Orlando Arcia, I would say. Far too much. All right, last two questions for you guys here. Who leads the Cubs in home runs this season? Randall, you go first. Anthony Rizzo. Wow, okay. I'm going to go back with Jock. I, like I said, I think Jock's going to have a monster offensive year, and I thought he was going to lead the team in homers, so that's why I picked him for offensive war. So I think Jock's going to have a monster year. I'm, I'm kind of with you there in that I think Jock's going to have the most home runs. Jeremy, will he get to 40? That's the number I want to see him get to. It's I would a love stretch. to see Jock get to 40, but I kind of feel like 37, 38 is where I'm seeing Jock Peterson. Okay. Um, what about strikeouts? Who leads the team? I'm talking about pitchers here. We're not oh, trying to okay. take some shots at anybody on offense. Who will lead the Cubs in strikeouts this year in terms of pitching? I'm going to say Kyle Hendricks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, a little different here. I'm going to say Jake Arrieta. Mm. And uh, let's just get wild here. Trevor Williams is going to put it all together, lead the team in strikeouts. Who knows I love it. how all that's going to play out. I just think Kyle's going to have the most innings pitch, and I think he's going to yeah. strike out a, a fair share of guys. I can see Alzali having a monster strikeout year. Totally. But I'm going to go with Kyle. And I'm not trying to beat up Alec Mills either. I mean, that no-hitter last year was honestly probably one of the rarest no-hitters in Cubs history. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things went right for it, but he did it. He pulled it off another Cubs no-hitter at Miller Park, which is great. But goodness, I just don't have a lot of optimism that he's going to be more than, you know, a bullpen arm and an occasional spot starter for this team this year. I just don't have a lot of faith. If he's in the rotation every five days, I think that's going to be concerning. Yeah, I agree with you. Um He's another one of the guys that they all kind of fit the same mold. Um, but, you know, when he gets weak contact, he looks pretty good. When he doesn't get weak contact, he looks pretty bad. And it's hard yeah. to, it's hard for a pitcher to control that to me. But some guys have that ability. So we'll see. For sure. Well, I definitely want to make sure we make some predictions here on the American League. I want to talk about who we think is going to win a Cy Young. Rookie of the Year MVP. But before we get into all that, I think the White Sox injury is important. We got to talk about it because it certainly changes the landscape of the American League. Um, if you haven't seen the footage, it's it's one of the most bizarre things you'll see happen in spring training. The White Sox have one of the premier young offensive players in Major League Baseball, a former Cubs prospect, Eloy Jimenez, in left field. We've talked about whether or not he should be a DH. So here he is in a spring training game, the final week of spring training. Ball is launched over his head. He makes an effort at robbing a home run in an exhibition game, although he missed the ball by about 15 feet. He ends up hanging on the outfield fence, suffers an injury. He gets carried off or taken off the field. I don't want to be too dramatic there. We find out yesterday the severity of that injury. It is a torn pectoral tendon. Randall, he's out five to six months. Now, I don't want to beat up Eloy. I don't want to beat up any player for hustling, for putting effort on the field. But this injury is horrible. One for a 24-year-old offensive star, but there was no reason for this injury to happen, and now he's out maybe for the whole year. You know, like you said, it's important to walk the line between sympathy and maybe criticism here. Um, but as, as you also said, and again, for people who haven't seen the footage, he was nowhere close to robbing that home run. Like, it wasn't even a he had a chance on it. That ball was – he had an arm twice as long as he does. He still might not have gotten it. 
And, you know, and again, I don't want to criticize him too much, but I think a lot of the instinct that maybe have him misjudging fly balls, uh, even at normal depth, uh, last year when he got caught in the net down the left yeah. field line, important to sustainably farm your left fielders. Um, I think kind of those same instincts allowed him or, or encouraged him to try and go up and rob a home run that he had no chance of robbing. And we see it cost him dearly. And I know even when it happened, Steve Stone on the broadcast was kind of doing his best to walk that line. He was saying, these games don't matter. Why would you go up and try and do that? And, you know, you feel for him, he's a great young hitter. and He's a cornerstone on the uh, offensive pro, the offensive identity of that team. And they're, they're going to have to try and find a way to replace that. And it, you, you hate to see anybody get hurt in a, a meaningless exhibition game. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you wish him a speedy recovery. Maybe he can be back at the end of the season, as Kyle Schwarber did some years ago. But it, it's terrible to see. And you hope going forward, maybe the White Sox reconsider his playing left field for them. I think that's such a good point. And, and Jeremy, maybe you're getting into this too. This is more on the White Sox to me than Eloy. He has no business being in left field. Now he's out there playing, right? I'm not going to fault a guy for hustling. I'm not going to fault a guy for trying to win baseball games. My problem is the White Sox didn't go out and get a proper outfielder like they should have this offseason. They're trying to force a guy into left field who very clearly isn't a left fielder. Now he's hurt and you lose one of the best bats in the American league for the whole year. It's just, this is on the white Sox, Jeremy, at least that's how I feel. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, it's, it's Aloy being Aloy. I mean, he does this stuff as Randall mentioned, he fell into the net, but he's got a lot of crazy clumsy things he's done. He's, he's had a lot, uh, a lot of injuries, a lot of injury history, even during his time with the Cubs as a minor leaguer. He had some injuries. I think he even had maybe a peck issue as a minor, Cubs minor leaguer. So I don't know. He, he's always kind of with a big smile on his face doing all these weird kind of clumsy things in the outfield. So I don't expect any less from him. And he made the jump. He hung on the, the fence. And, you know, now he's out five to six months. But as you mentioned, uh, I, I don't necessarily put on the White Sox just for, you know, the fact that he's hurt. But, like, they had an opportunity to get – better like they had a spot to be to maybe really take control of the nl central to or excuse me al central to um you know where you can move alloy to you know a dh where he's much more naturally fitted he's not you're obviously not gonna risk as much injury there and and you could put in an outfielder you know they signed eaton for right field but they still had outfield spots there's still opportunity to sign bats that would make them better and so and now they don't have the depth necessarily to make up for the loss of an alloy. Like now they have your, your left field is like Adam Engel, who's hurt by the way. So he's also hurt. And Larry Garcia, like if that's a platoon in left field, that that's like basically no offense to those guys. I mean, Adam Engel kind of, apparently he can only hit in spring training and against the Cubs, I feel like, <laughs> but uh, he, those are kind of zeros out there. And now they're taking a guy who's never played above high a ball who never really i'm not gonna say he's never really you know demolished any balls like he he didn't wasn't like an elite i mean he's a good prospect very good prospect elite but he's never played above high a ball and they're like he's never really played in the outfield they're like oh by the way and andrew vaughn like you're gonna try to make the majors and let's put you in this position you've never played before really so it's like what what are you doing there where they have vaughn there and so it's it's like they're kind of doing the same thing even worse i feel like because at least Aloy had some experience playing the outfield. I feel like Aloy grew into his body and he was already clumsy and now being bigger, he's just even clumsier. 
in the outfield, but putting Vaughn out there, I don't really quite understand that either. Cause he, he's slow. And like, it's not really like a guy who people thought of as having being an athlete to play in the outfield. Otherwise he probably would have played in the outfield. He wouldn't be stuck as a first base DH type. So yeah. I don't know. It's a big loss. And, and it, it, I agree with you. I, it goes back more to me on the White Sox management for not planning better in the off season, because you can't expect your guys to be healthy 162 games. You're not going to expect, you know, a guy to miss a season, but you still need to have, you know, I've talked about this. I believe in marginal value. I believe in having a strong bench, strong depth. You need to have guys to come up and take over for the time that your studs are going to miss. Like maybe they miss a month. Maybe they miss two weeks, four weeks, who knows, but they're going to miss time. And you need somebody to fill in that gap a little bit. And I don't feel like the White Sox did enough over the off season. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think they went cheap when they should be going for the kill. And a perfect example of that would be their starting rotation. Like you have an opportunity to get Trevor Bauer, the National League Cy Young winner last year, and you go, no, I don't want to give him $100 million. Let's just go get Lance Lynn. That'll be fine. Like you got to go for it now if you're the White Sox. This is the time to win. And you're a much better team with Eloy in that lineup as a designated hitter not being hurt. And I'll say this. I can't tell you how many phone calls I had with Ray here over the last year, year and a half, where I've said, they got to get him out of left field. You got to make him a DH. And it's not now like rubbing it in. I'm, I feel terrible that one of the great young players in baseball is going to maybe miss the year. And we don't know how he's going to recover from this. We don't know what this is going to do to the rest of his career. Major League Baseball is better. The sport is better when the young stars are playing. I don't want to see the White Sox win the division this year. I do want to see one of their best players out there competing. And now he's not out there. Why? We all know he's not a left fielder. So I think it's a huge missed opportunity for the White Sox. And if I were a Sox fan channeling my Ray here for a minute, I'd be so pissed off. That well, you might not this... watch. You might, might be out on you. <laughs> well, it just feels like in not 2015, the Cubs went for the kill and they went out and they got John Lester. And that was probably the difference in them getting to where they needed to be and then winning a world series. They didn't settle for a second or three tier pitcher. They went out and got the single biggest free agent signing in team history. The white Sox had that opportunity this year and they didn't take it. And I think, and this is sort of segueing into our next segment here. I think it's going to cost them the division. Just to to finish up on that, uh, compare them to the San Diego Padres. I mean, the white Sox and the Cubs, our Cubs, white Sox and the Padres last year, basically in the same spot going to the off season. I mean, up and coming teams, strong farm systems, you know, whatever. The Padres went all out in the offseason. I mean, AJ Preller is a rare GM doing that, but they went all out and they added so much. And the White Sox kind of, you know, they were they had that opportunity, but they added kind of second end kind of guys, second rate kind of guys. Not to take anything from away from Lance Lynn, but uh, you know, they're not, not like Snell or you Darvish no. or everything the Padres were doing. And they had that opportunity. They had to to to. I mean, the Padres they don't they have don't have holes like now. They had holes, but now they don't. And the White Sox never really got to that spot. It's like they got to a spot where they felt, okay, we're in a spot to compete for the division. That's we're fine now. That's good enough. Yeah. When they could have been, we're in a spot to be the overwhelming favorites for the division. And they didn't do that. Just make it happen. So so with that in mind, let's make some predictions here. We'll start in the American League. Um, let's go division by division just in terms of who you think is going to win it, and then we'll pick the wild card teams, and we'll get into some individual winners. Uh, Jeremy, let's start in the American League East. Who wins the AL East here in 2021? I think the winner of the AL East will be the New York Yankees in the Bronx. I think, I think, I think they're really good, and I think they will probably lead the AL and wins. Okay. Randall, who you got winning the East? I have the Yankees as well. I think uh, taking Blake Snell away from the Rays 
um, probably drops them a notch or two. I have the Yankees winning the AL East. Awesome. I'm with you guys. I do think New York is going to take it. I'm pulling for Toronto, though. They've got a wonderful young lineup. Very exciting team. I hope they give a Yankees a run for it. It's nice to see some fun baseball up in Canada again, too. So that's going to be worth keeping an eye on. Although they, Leagues... will not, they will not be playing baseball up in Canada. That's right. That's right. Uh, hopefully, yeah, at some point. But they're starting the year in Florida, right? In Dunedin. Playing yeah, at I their, their minor league facility. They're going to make their way north over time. I think they're going to start off in Dunedin. <laughs> eventually get to Buffalo. Hopefully get to Toronto, migrate up north as the Blue closest Jays thing we've seen to a barnstorming team in decades. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeremy, American League Central. Uh, are the Twins the team to beat now? Well, you know my feeling on the Twins. I thought they were the team to beat before the Alloy injury. I think they're now even more the team to beat. I think the Twins take the uh, AL Central. Randall? I also have the Twins. You can count out the Tigers. You can probably count out the Royals. And that leaves the, uh, the Clevelanders, the White Sox, and the Twins. I don't think Cleveland is going to be a huge factor necessarily, especially with Lindor gone. And so that leaves the White Sox and the Twins. And we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about how the White Sox lost yeah. one of their best hitters. And so kind of by default, uh, I have the Twins winning that division. I'm, I'm with you. I think the Twins are a very good team. Um, a team, I think, that is going to compete, not win the division, but I think they're going to be more difficult than maybe you were saying there, Randall. Kansas City, like they've got enough guys in that lineup. They kind of had an aggressive offseason. I don't think they're going to be better than 500, but I think they're going to be a team that is going to cause a lot of headaches for other teams in the American League Central. But we're in agreement. The Twins are going to wow. take the Central. Going so that the leaves Twins, the West. Man. Who do we have, Randall, winning the American League West? I have Joe Madden's Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of California of the United States <laughs> winning the American League West the, this the year again. Of the Western Hemisphere. I think that's not a division with um, kind of a ton of a ton of great teams in it. The Mariners, they'll be right there five games out of that second wild card spot in late August again, as they always are. The Astros are have you know are going to be a little bit of a question mark as George Springer leaves and they kind of try and get back to their uh, their pre garbage can days and elsewhere in that division, um, the Rangers you know I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of noise. Maybe like you said, they might be like the Royals, a team that has a say in who wins the division, even if they don't do so themselves. I think the Angels. This is the year that uh, they put it together. They've added some some decent pieces this offseason. You have a healthy Shohei Otani. That's foreshadowing, by the way. You have a healthy Shohei Otani, uh, hopefully back uh, on the mound and in the lineup uh, three days out of five. I think the Angels put it together this year, and they win that division. Who you got, Jeremy? Ale West. I got – I think they're going to come back. I got those uh, – the can pounders down there in Houston, trash cans. I got uh, the Astros. I think they're going to have a strong season. I think they're still good. Um, I, I, Altuve, Correa, they're still all there. I mean, I know Springer's gone, but I, I still think they have it. I, and so I, I don't, every year you think like the angels will be decent and they're, they're usually not. So I, I think, I'm gonna go with Houston. <laughs> you know, that's, that's fair. There, there is kind of angel overrate syndrome every spring. And I, I may be victim to that, but these are predictions. So we can take the swing. 
That's right. And you know what, Randall? I'm a victim, too. I got Anaheim taking the West. I want to see it happen. Mike Trout is the best player in the American League. He deserves to be back in the playoffs. He's got some help around him now for the first time. And you know what? You get Dexter Fowler and Joe back together. There's a little bit of magic there. They got Q. I think they're going to compete, and that division is going to be winnable for them. So let's see uh, Let's see uh, Trout back in the playoffs taking the West. Um, as we wrap up predictions on playoff teams, Randall, your other wild cards, your two wild cards in the American League, you got you know i have the white Sox as wild card two in the american league and i have the rays as wild card one okay jeremy how about you i have my wild card one as those migratory blue jays i think they're gonna do it and then i'm gonna go with a little bit of a surprise for my wild card two i think oakland's gonna pull it out i always feel like they always end up a little bit better than people expect them so i think oakland will find a way to sneak in there yeah i'm, I'm with you there um i was de- debating oakland i'm gonna go with Toronto and the White Sox. I do think the Sox are going to get in there. Um, All things considered, they still have a very solid team, uh, even with Eloy out. And I don't know, maybe he will be back earlier than five to six months and be able to provide some support down the home stretch. Um, Last question on the American League before we go into individual players. Uh, Who wins the pennant? Yankees for me. Yankees. Yeah, no, that's not fun enough. Joe Madden. Anaheim gets hot. They're going to the World Series. Let's have fun with it. Ronan on the side of the Angels. Uh, Let's talk about individual awards in the American League. The three that I wanted to ask you guys about, the MVP, the Cy Young, and the Rookie of the Year. Let's start with MVP. Jeremy, who do you think takes the American League MVP this year? Well, I might might have a little theme here, but I'm going to go with Giancarlo Stanton. I think uh, Yankees, I think he's going to have a monster year. If he's healthy, he always hits hard, and I think he's going to have a monster homer year, probably like 50 home runs or something. Randall, who's your AL MVP? I have Shohei Otani winning the AL MVP. I think if he's healthy for a full season and he pitches even competently over a full season's worth of starts and is an offensive force in the lineup three days out of every five, I think that's going to be very hard to overlook as most valuable player in the AL. That's a great guess, Randall. I, I like that. And I like the optimism that he's going to stay healthy and be there. I'm going with his teammate, Mike Trout. I know I'm not going on a limb here with this, but again, the best player in the American League. He's revitalized. He's got some help around him. He's got a nice manager. I think Mike Trout wins the AL MVP. What about the best pitcher in the American League? Randall, start us off. Who do you think will be the AL Cy Young? Uh, I have Garrett Cole as my AL Cy Young. I think he finally shakes off the trauma from Kyle Schwarber in 2015. And I think he brings home that AL Cy Young this year. What about you, Jeremy? Uh, I'm going to stay on theme, and I'm going to agree with Randall. I'm going to go with Garrett Cole, another Yankee. Uh, I, I mean, he's won a Cy Young in the past, so I don't think he has – or did he lose it to Verlander? He was one or two uh, with the Astros. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think Garrett Cole is going to fit in nicely. Last year, weird year, first year in New York, um, tough year with the pandemic. So I think – I like I said, I like this Yankees team a lot, so – Garrett Cole, John Carlos Stanton, I think they're going to do pretty well. Now, All right, well I, I do one... want to say, I do want to say real quick, I had my original guess for this was Shohei Otani as AL Cy MVP Young and Cy Young. You know, I don't think I had them as both necessarily. I I think he's going to win one or the other, but I think he's more likely to be a capable pitcher and a good hitter, which combined for MVP, than he is to be a good enough pitcher to win the Cy Young but I definitely gave it consideration. Shohei Otani, AL Salya. I definitely considered it. Well, I'm tipping a cap here to Ray. He's going to be very excited. Lucas Giolito is my pick for the American League Cy Young. 
big time power arm settling into Chicago. I do think they're going to compete this year with him leading the way. So I've got the Sox ace winning the American League Cy Young, uh, Lucas Giolito. So, Ray, I know you're listening to this. This one's for you, buddy. I hope he has a great year, too. He's a, he's a very, very fun player to watch. And I've actually picked up some uh, interviews that he's been doing on, on YouTube. I think he talked to Pitching Ninja uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's really articulate as well, well-spoken. He's a very, very interesting guy post-career in terms of broadcasting. Well, I he, like listening to Giolito talk. From, he's a he come, cool guy. comes from a family of actors. Really? So I believe it. He's probably pretty comfortable in front of the microphone television, he uh, from Harvard Westlake in Los Angeles, which also produced Max Fried and Jack Flaherty. Well, that was a hell of a high school uh, pitching staff. Those but, are three uh, opening day starters yeah, at the same high school. I know, at the same high school. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable. And I think his grandfather was uh, uh, on Seinfeld. Was um, the uh, I think his on Seinfeld was um, George's. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on it. Susan. I think it was Susan's father is his grandfather. Is Giolito's grandfather? Yeah, I think so. If, if I'm not, if I'm not, and his mother was an actor. I think his uncle was like a screenwriter. So, you know, he comes from a family of, from entertainment. Jeremy just pulling things out of nowhere with 100% <laughs> accuracy per usual. I have here that actor uh, Warren Frost, grandfather of Lucas Giolito, played the role on Seinfeld of Henry Ross, father of Susan Ross, George Constanza's, yeah, Constanza's fiance. So Jeremy just pulling things completely out of nowhere and making them happen. All right, rookie of the year, American League. Jeremy, who you got? I'm going to go. I'm going to step off a little bit, um, not get off the Yankee train, stay in the AL East, though. I'm going to go with Randy Arazarena. He had a monster playoffs last year, World Series. Didn't exhaust rookie eligibility. I think he's going to be another monster. Jer- uh, Randall. Uh, I'm going to stay with the Rays. I'm going to go Wander Franco, their fine young shortstop prospect. I think he plays a premium position, which makes it easier to win uh, one of the awards. I think he's going to come up. Uh, I believe Jeremy said they sent him to minor league camp uh, this spring, but I think he's going to come up at some point, and I think he is going to produce and end up uh, rookie of the year. I think uh, rookie of the year is probably the easiest award to win, even if you only play a partial season, if you are head and shoulders above the competition. And there's my pick, Wander Franco, shortstop, Tampa Bay Rays. I'm going to deviate a little bit. Uh, I think the Minnesota Twins are going to have the American League Rookie of the Year. I hope I'm saying his last name right, too. Alex Kirilloff. He's an outfielder. He's going to have an opportunity to play for them. And I've got a little insider info. He's killing it in OOTP for me and my uh, Colorado Rockies sim. So he's got everything going for him. I think he's a wonderful fit, and he's going to be a big part of the Twins offense this year. He's got the luck of the Irish with him. So. <laughs> Yeah. He's made my Rockies pretty good, so I think that's a pretty good start for him. Uh, let's shift gears now over to the National League. Again, we'll start in the East. Jeremy, who wins the National League East? Should be a very competitive division this year. Should be a very competitive division this year. I won a few different ways, but I, I settled on the Amazons. I settled on the Mets. I think they're going to you know, have a big year, so I, I think I'm going to go with the New York Mets. A lot of good baseball in New York this year. Uh, I have the Braves repeating as NL East champions. I said, maybe the Phillies put it together. Maybe the Mets put it together. I'm going to stay Braves, uh, NL, NL East champions. I'm with you, Jeremy. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, Ronnie, I know you're listening somewhere. I'm sorry, but the New York Metropolitans, they've got dominant pitching. They got the best shortstop in the American League that just came over in Francisco Lindor. I think the Mets are the team to beat. Uh, Let's skip the NL Central because we already did it. You guys both picked the Cubs winning the division. I'll just say mine. I'm so sorry, guys. 
St. Louis is going to win the division this year. I know, I know. Huxley here is glaring at me now, saying, how dare you say that? Uh, so let's just move on from that. Say that. Join Jeremy and I next week for Behind the Yellow Line, <laughs> the mysterious disappearance of Ronan O'Shea on his way back to his home planet. Right. The National League West. Uh, now I'll say this. It's down to two teams, right? The Rockies are not going to do anything this year. The Giants are not. Uh, Arizona isn't. So between the Padres and the Dodgers, the two teams in Southern Cal, Randall, who wins the West? You know, it, this one was probably the toughest for me go between the two teams you mentioned. I have the Dodgers probably just eking out uh, a division title. Um, I'll put the Padres in here somewhere. I don't want to jump ahead. I have the Dodgers and L West champions again. Jeremy, I'm going to agree with Randall. I think the Dodgers, I think it's going to be a tough fight all year long, but I think the Dodgers just a little bit better over the long haul. So I think I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Okay. And I'll, I'll deviate here. San Diego, the Friars, they're taking the West. It's their year. Now the Dodgers have dominated that division for the last decade, but the Padres are full and they named you Darvish their opening day starter. So they got you on their side. How can I bet against the Padres uh, with that in mind, Randall, who are your wildcard teams in the NL? Yeah, here's where I have the Padres. I have the Padres as being uh, wild card one only by virtue of not being NL West division champions. I think you'll see maybe a, a 98 win versus 96 win, uh, maybe a lot like the 2015 National League Central where you had wins of uh, 100, 98, and 97. Um, I think there might be a situation where the Padres would win any other division in the National League or maybe even in, in the American League as well. But I have them as the overwhelming wild card one. And not to ignore what the Mets have done this offseason, I have them as my wild card two in the NL. So Padres one, Mets two, wild card NL. Okay. Jeremy, how about your wild card teams? Uh, I agree with Padres. Uh, I think, you know, they might not win the division, but they're obviously going to win a lot of ball games this year. And then I'm going to go with uh, the Braves. I think they'll pull it out in the wild card number two um, in a tough fight with the Mets. I thought, you know, a lot about some other NL East teams. I don't really think it's going to come out of the Central. I think whoever wins the Central will make the playoffs, yeah. and that's it. So I went with the Mets – or, excuse me, with the Braves as the second wild card team. Cool. And um, I'll take the Dodgers in wild card one, uh, finishing second to the Padres in the West. And then I'm going a little bit different here. Out of the NL East, the Philadelphia Phillies – are going to finish wild card two on the shoulders of Bryce Harper. They're going to sneak in there, and then who knows what's going to happen. Um, Randall, who wins the pennant out of the National League this year? Is it the Cubs? Uh, you know, I, I really, really wanted to put the Cubs as the homer pick for the pennant. I, I agonized over it for a full two or three minutes. It was quite a span there. I have the Dodgers coming out of the NL again. Jeremy. I have the San Diego Padres coming out of the NL. Even though they don't win the division, I still have them making the World Series. We're on the same page there. It's going to be an all-Southern California World Series. I got Anaheim, wow. I mentioned in the AL. San Diego winning the National League pennant. Wow. Um, let's pick some award winners in the National League. Jeremy, who's your MVP? So my MVP in the National League, I got Ronald Acuna of, New York, or excuse me, of the Atlanta Braves. I think he's going to have a monster year. Uh, I went through a few team, a few different guys, you know, Soto, uh, Tatis, obviously. But I, I think I, I really like Acuna, and I think he's going to have a monster year. Even if I don't have the Braves winning the division, I still think he's going to be a force. Randall? You know, uh, here's where I'm going to put my other homer pick. Uh, I'm going to say Tatis is probably the likely winner. Uh, but Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo is my pick. Wow, I think motivated <laughs> maybe by a contract year. Um, I think he has maybe a I thought you were going to say season. Brian. No, I'm, no, no. Ryan's got his one. He's got to let Rizzo have the other. 
Um, I think Rizzo has a special season as the, the emotional leader of this team and as a, a great all-around player. So Anthony Rizzo is my homer pick. I will couch that by saying that Tatis is probably the more realistic pick. But if you want to put me on the record, put me on the record for one Anthony Rizzo, please. Right on, right on. Well, it is going to be Tatis, in my opinion. I know, again, that's not uh, going out on a limb or anything, but with the Padres winning the West, he's going to be the MVP, taking that division title away from the Dodgers. Cy Young, Jeremy, who is the best pitcher in the NL this year? I think both Cy Youngs are going to be in the city state of New York. I think it's going to be Jacob DeGrom. I think, uh, you know, DeGrom, he's got obviously has a history of winning a few Cy Youngs, and I, I think he's still at the top. So I, I take DeGrom. DeGrom is my pick as well, staying in the city of New York. And we're totally unanimous there. I think DeGrom uh, pieces that Mets rotation as they win the East. So who's the rookie of the year, the best up-and-comer in the NL this season, Randall? You know, this was more difficult for me just because uh, I kind of had a harder time knowing who is uh, liable to be up and still have rookie eligibility in the National League. I was between two candidates here, Ha Song Kim, the uh, import from Korean Baseball Organization for the Padres, over Sixto Sanchez, the fine starting pitcher for the Marlins. Uh, and I'm taking Kim as my winner here just because I think it's a lot harder to win rookie of the year as a pitcher because you as a pitcher pitching every fifth day, you're competing against position players. You don't have separate consideration. Um, plus, if you have one bad outing at the end of the season or two or three in a row, that puts you behind the position player candidates who have the ability to kind of get that back day in and day out. So in a, a close contest, I'm taking infielder Ha Song Kim of the Padres as my NL Rookie of the Year. All right, up to me, I'm going to go with a guy that I – I feel like you're going to see a lot of tweets about, a lot of mad tweets, a lot of angry tweets. <laughs> I think we're on the same page here. Coming out of uh, at Randall J. Sanders over this, uh, this season. I, I'm going to go out of Pittsburgh. Uh, keep Brian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I, 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 that's where I'm going to go with as our rookie of the year. I'm with you. Uh, I think he's a budding superstar there in Pittsburgh. And, you know, they've put together some decent third basemen over the years. Um, I'm getting a message here from Huxley saying, it's definitely not going to be Dylan Carlson. And I like hearing that. I don't want to see it coming out of St. Louis. So Hayes in Pittsburgh, let him have a hell of a year on a terrible team in Pittsburgh. That's fine with me. Yep. But Jeremy, your prediction is spot on. There Maybe the best prediction any of us have made today. There will be some angry tweets from Randall in the direction of the Pirates third baseman. Hopefully not April 1st. I want to see a win on opening day, but you know what's coming. Oh, there, I, there were some probably angry tweets about it last September. I remember him having a called big games against the Cubs. I refuse to confirm or deny anything without a lawyer present. Have we, um, I know we picked our pennant winners. Uh, Jeremy, you picked the Yankees to win it all. Randall, did you pick a world series winner a minute ago? I'm not sure I heard it. Uh, you know, I have the, I have the Yankees over the Dodgers in the world series this year. Okay. And I have the Padres over the angels. So we'll see how all that plays out. We will revisit this uh, sometime in October and we'll see how we fared, but uh, good fun. It's the start of the season. There's a ton of optimism. It's fun to kind of guess what you think is going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. That's going to play out over the next six months. And I'll bet you, I don't know about you guys. I am ready for it. I cannot wait for opening day next week. And um, it's just time to make this happen. Yeah, I'm very excited. I can't wait for baseball. It's going to be quick. We're going to have baseball every day pretty soon, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. I was funny. I was telling my girlfriend earlier today, I said, you know, this is the last weekend until November 
of no baseball. And she's excited for me. She's very excited. She, she knows I'm ready for baseball season, but there was a mo- moment there where I think she was like, man, I'm not going to have a lot of access to the TV here for the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah. Huxley, Huxley probably wondering, you know, how often he's going to get to watch animal planet with, with all the baseball on. So hopefully you can share the TV with the new member of your household. We're very excited that he's in here. Um, He's actually sitting next to me right now. He's enjoyed the podcast here. Um, Last thing that I want to vent about before we break today, this is sort of unplanned, but it's been on my mind. And I got a bone to pick with you, Jeremy, because one of your guys does this too. But I was watching MLB Network last night. Uh, It was on in the restaurant and it was on mute. So it was kind of the best way to watch the MLB Network. I didn't have to hear anything. I could just kind of see the visuals on TV. Tony La Russa pops up on TV. What the hell is going on with his hair? Have either of you looked at what he looks like right now? I've got a problem with grown men, particularly 77-year-old grown men who dye their hair. But what he's doing with his hair, like, I don't know what's going on there. It looks terrible. It looks like a rat or some animal has died on his head. <laughs> Maybe I, it's I, an I ran over while driving. He's got oh, his, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Ronan, uh, Tony Larusa is a very – not going to go after his driving ability – but uh, I don't know. I haven't really seen him uh, lately. Um, so he's got a pretty good die job, you're saying, or a pretty bad die job. Well, but but it, here's the problem with that. And let me say this from the perspective of I was in my early 20s when it dawned on me I was losing my hair. Like, okay, I knew I wasn't going to win that battle. What did I do? I buzzed my head. The worst thing you see are people doing comb overs, people uh, taking pills to try to grow hair. That's insane to me. You got to own it. When you're a, a grown-ass man and you're dyeing your hair, I think it's one of the worst looks you can have. And, Jeremy, the reason I rope you into this, your guy, Brad Underwood, has a ridiculous hairstyle. I don't understand why a, what, 57, 58-year-old man thinks he's fooling anybody with the hair dye. I just think it's a bad look. you got to own it. Have some confidence. Let it go gray. Gray hair on an adult man, it's a good look. I don't know why these people have to dye their hair. And the worst I've seen recently has been Tony La Russa. Uh, distinguished look uh, you know i don't know you, yeah, a little bit of vanity uh, i always felt like joe kind of always did some things but i'm not i'm not sure about that really bad hair yeah. dyes with joe as well yeah so i mean you could always try the carlos boozer uh, where you get the hair painted on your head uh, <laughs> but uh, if you remember that correctly but um i don't know he's you know he's a 77 year old man he's coming back he's going to be wearing a uh uh, MLB uniform, which is not something I look forward to, but uh, who knows? Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year on the South side with Tony La Russa as manager. You know, we, we had a great streak going of, of not dealing with Tony La Russa. He wasn't in the public eye. He was jumping from front office to front office as a, a nebulous uh, special assistant to the GM. We had a, a great run of him not being in front of a camera or in front of a microphone. And the White Sox had just had to go pluck him out of somebody's front office and stick him in their dugout with his hair dye. So, Mal, do you have do you have any uh, all abound? Are you prepped at all for Tony Larusa's first appearance back at Wrigley Field? Am I prepped? Uh, I don't think I've ever been like not prepped. Like if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Anytime, well, you got some like tweets in the bag. You got the booze that ready to go if you're out. You know, there. you know. I don't know that there's a whole lot I need to say or even can say. That hasn't already been said. Larusa knows what I think of him, and you know if I end up in the same ballpark as him, he'll remember me. He'll, he'll look <laughs> up at me. He'll look up at me in the stands. He'll narrow his eyes. He'll point. He'll go you, and then his hair dye will drip down his face like Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> 
Oh, good stuff. Great visual there, Randall. Um, we will be back after opening day. The Cubs opener is Thursday, 120 from Wrigley Field, Cubs Pirates. They are off on Friday, so we will record next Friday. We'll get our thoughts on opening day. And then from there, we're going to get creative about um, how often we do some shows. Uh, we don't want to go once a week because there's too much happening, and Friday nights aren't going to make a ton of sense as that'll be in the middle of weekend series. So we'll get creative with that. Uh, Randall is aggressively waving me down right Right now, what's going on, Randall? Seconds ago, we have Jeff Passan breaking the news that the Cubs will option second baseman Nico Horner uh, oh. to start the season and that Eric wow. Sogard is expected to make the team. <laughs> All right, folks, get ready for the There's tweets. Some tweets coming. <laughs> tweets well, are eat, coming from Randall. I'm going to eat some ice cream tonight. Tweets coming. We will talk about Nico and his trip to South Bend next week on the show. But uh, Jeremy, have an awesome time at Wrigley Field. Have a Vienna beef dog for me. Uh, have a Jack and Coke for me, please. And uh, Randall, let's uh, let's have a nice season here. Let's hope the Cubs stay healthy. And I hope that I am a shooting low here with 81 wins. I want to see this team compete. To health and to success for the Cubs. Good stuff, guys. We'll see you all again next week, hopefully celebrating an opening day victory next time on Behind the Yellow Line.